This week's episode of Fireside is brought to you by Legends of Belize and Wonders Oddities Expo. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Fireside Paranormal Podcast. My name is Jordan Klein. I have a great show for you today. My guest tonight is Joe Montaldo. He is the president of the International Community for Alien Research. We're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff. And we are fresh off of the Wonders Oddities Expo in Monroeville, PA. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of you folks out there. Uh, A lot of folks that listen to the show in PA, apparently. So that was really exciting. Before we get to the show, just a few announcements. Legends of Belize is a series about mythical creatures that dwell in the jungles and waters of Belize. The Belizean legends are captured, documented, and preserved like never before in a comprehensive art series and books with fully colored and detailed images of fine art by artists, authors, and award-winning animators Dismas and Grissy G. Discover the supernatural creatures that await deep in the jungles, such as the mysterious dwarf called Tata Duende with backwards feet known to rip the thumbs off of trespassers, or the beautiful shape-shifting woman known to locals as the Ishtabai, who seduces drunks to never be seen again. These creatures and many more can be found in the Legends of Belize books. Learn about the cryptozoological, paranormal, and unexplained creatures that haunt Belize. Be fascinated. Be terrified, Belize. The Legend of Belize books are available in print and ebook. Buy your copy from your favorite online bookstore such as Amazon, KDP, Apple Books, and many more. Also, be sure to visit legendsofbelize.com. And definitely don't forget the American Paranormal Magazine. Go to paranormalzine.com. Check out all the new things they have going on there. Uh, don't forget also they're doing the Alley Award which is the number one paranormal investigator of the year. It's open to podcasters and authors. I think voting ends at the end of this month. So if you get a chance, go ahead and put my name in there. Go to paranormalzine.com. Help me out a little bit. I'd like to win that. I think it'd be pretty fun. Not that I'm begging or anything, but if it was, it'd probably sound like that. We are getting really close to our Halloween episode. So if you have a personal story, you want it to be a part of that Halloween episode, like I said, I want this to be 100% uh, personal stories. So make sure you send that in, firesideparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to have your story as part of our episode. Uh, Make sure you reach out to me. If you can't email for some reason, you want to connect with me on Facebook or, or any of the other social medias by chance, just go ahead and Send me a message on there, and we can get it all worked out. Hey, I also wanted to give you a little heads up. My wife, Sarah, is supposed to be joining me on the interview part of this show, so if you hear her voice pop up, don't be alarmed. I want to get into our first featured story. It actually comes in from Jay. My name is Jay. My uh, paranormal group is Ohio Dark Seekers. Nice. Right now, we don't have any... um, YouTube not yet working on that one. There you go. Um, but this was actually happened before we started the group, kind of before I met my wife, where I used to live. It was a hill that led to nothing, and there was a big tower, like a electrical tower, 
and I swear on everything, I saw something just hovering in the sky. Oh, yeah? And then when I looked, just, I was staring at it for a minute, and then it just shot like it was like a bird, but it wasn't a bird. It was about medium size. I, it's hard to explain, you but know what how, I mean? How, um, how big would you say it was? Roughly about the size of a car. Oh, wow. Something like that. It was pretty cool. It was about the first UFO I, at least I see with my own eyes. That's crazy. That's cool. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much, Jay. Our next story comes in from Mary. This is Mary from Parkersburg, West Virginia. Hi. And uh, I guess the thing, we got into paranormal about a year ago. And we've, you know, I think we're up to maybe a dozen locations at this point. Oh, nice. You guys have been rocking. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a skeptic. Uh, my husband, he's not. But uh, when we go to these places, I, you know, I'm always kind of, I don't know, cautious. Yeah. And uh, he, well, I'm trying to think here. So... At Prospect Place, it's a underground railroad location. Oh, okay. And in the basement cellar type area, um, that's where they would keep the people who were who are trying to escape, right? Yeah. So down there, we were sitting down there with our equipment for maybe an hour, and nothing really happened. <laughs> when, <laughs> but you know, as as most paranormal investigators know, that's totally normal. Happened. Yeah, <laughs> totally normal. Um, so, with me being the extrovert out of the two of us, I just started talking, you know. Um, we were getting ready to pack up, and I started talking about the history and everything that has happened uh, modern day. Like, we've had a, an African-American president, and um, talking about at the time there were riots going on and um, how they've gained a lot of rights, you know. Um, so, we packed up, we started heading out the door, and behind me I heard, thank you. Oh, wow. This little tiny voice. It just said, thank you, like that. And wow. uh, chills. Nobody else heard it, but thank God we were still recording. <laughs> so and it came up in the recording? It was on the EVP, yeah. Wow. It was pretty cool. So at that point, I, I got emotional. I don't, I don't know why, but <laughs> I was like, that is just the sweetest little thing. So um, that was special to me. And I think I, from that point on, I've kind of thought uh, differently about the paranormal. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much, Mary. Again, if you want your story to be one of our featured stories, give me an email, firesideparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. Have you encountered something you can't explain? Do you believe in the paranormal but haven't experienced it? Are you a skeptical believer too? My name is Kristen, and I host the Paranorm Girl podcast. My show is an education in the paranormal. Join me as we explore a different topic each season and dissect origins, theories, experts, and so much more. Whether it's life after death, cryptids, ghosts, or any other paranormal topic, we will pull it apart and put it back together again to fully understand it. If you're a fascinated skeptic, a believer yearning to know more, if you're looking for an education in the paranormal, I'm your Paranorm Girl. All right, I want to get to my guest. Join me by the fire as we welcome Joe Montaldo. Joe is the director of ICAR, the International Community for Alien Research. He also runs United Public Radio Network and UFO Paranormal Radio Network. Joe, you with us? I surely am. You know, Jordan, I was thinking about you the other day. I was on Coast to Coast a couple of weeks back, 
And I was thinking about you for some reason. I even brought it up with George at the break. I said, I've never heard you on a show. I said, you need to invite him on. You know, man, they're always looking for people. Always. Wow. I was on there talking about uh, alien types and blood types is what I was on there about. Now, you know, that is one name drop that you're always going to get me. Uh, you know, if George Norrie wants me on the show, you know, give him. you can give him my number. <laughs> remind, remind me after the show I'll tell you the secret on how to get to the coast. I can't tell you right now because I don't want everybody to eat I, and see this is what I don't I don't know if I could do because his show is like five hours long I don't know if I have that many words in me well no they've, they've changed the format now I was kind of usually when I go on coast I always do the full four hours uh-huh. um, but this time and I've noticed a couple people told me this they broke their format up to two hours so they do two guests a night now oh wow so I'm kind of like, what happened there? Are there ratings dropping or something? Why would you do? Because there's a lot of good guests out there that don't need two hours. They don't need. They need more than two hours. People like yeah. you would need way more than two hours. But still, it's always fun. You know, Tom and George and and the, the Lisa and all a bunch of are all nice people. So you know, and I met George a few times, like at the X conference and out at the one in the desert. And, and yeah, you've done TV California. shows with George too, haven't you? Wait, say that again. You've done TV shows with George too, haven't you? Well, yes, well, yes, and no. And the fact that we were both on the same episode on the same TV shows, but we weren't together because <laughs> we didn't teach ancient aliens. Them do a weird thing, real quick. So they flew me out the first time I was on Ancient Aliens. They flew me out to DC, set me up at the Mandarin Hotel, beautiful suite. The suite, the, the bathroom in the suite is bigger than my house, my two thousand square foot house. Goodness, and, and everything worked on on voice. You could tell them. They had, a, they had a, a tub, then they had a jacuzzi tub, then they had a shower with like eight spigots in it, and then they had this thing I would call the group shower. It's bigger than my master bedroom. It's got things all in the ceiling, spigots all – I mean, this is like a car wash for humans, man. I don't know what the hell this thing is for. <laughs> I really have no idea. This was for like a party that I'm not allowed to go to is all I can say. <laughs> and then here comes George Norrie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, now, but in all fairness, uh, when I met George the first time in D.C., I met him in studio at NBC Studios um, in D.C. at the uh, X Conference, uh, the 2009, I think it was. Uh, we talked in studio. It was me, Alfred Weber, and Richard Dolan. He was having the three of us, and we each doing an hour and in Q&A at the end. So I'm sitting there doing my thing because I was first. I get up. I'm sitting in this chair. I got, I'm done. Took over the microphone. <laughs> George said, I can go to break if you don't. I said, sure, I can run this show. No problem. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, no problem at all, man. Let me, let me, let me. I see how these mics and all work. I was having a ball. But I've met him uh, half a dozen times. He's always been just as nice as can be. Uh, he's never, you know, I've heard a lot of different stories about the man over the years, but he's always been nice to me. He's always been polite. He's never asked me for money to speak. So, uh, the first time I had him on a network, Karen Dolan brought him on. Okay. And if y'all knew who Karen Dolan is, that is Richard Dolan's ex-wife. And uh, she brought him on. And uh, the, Oh, wait, I said the first time I met him was in D.C. That was a lie. The first time I met him was in Roswell. At Roswell. the 59th. I was out there for the 59th and the 60th anniversary of Roswell. And a guy Malone drugged me out there. The alien resistance movement people. And uh, I met him out there. Karen Dolan introduced me to him. And then we did a interview with him and then he Karen interviewed him and then he came on the network a couple of weeks after that which was I didn't even know he did that kind of stuff <laughs> now <laughs> for, like, really for those He's listening you want to tell him who Richard Dolan is 
Uh, Richard Dolan. Richard Dolan is a historian. He's not a ufologist. So don't get confused. He's the guy who goes around and takes other people's books and puts them into one coherent book for you to read. He's not making. He does. He does. He's done one or two books after the, his original three, where he makes opinions. But I don't know why he does because he's not a ufologist. He's not a researcher like some of the other researchers feel like myself and others. That's not what he does. He's he is truly a historian. He's a good historian. I don't want to take anything away from him, but. He just takes those books and puts them, puts them in a range uh, where everybody can understand them and go through them and find the information that you're looking for. He did something, not with, what it, was it with Whitley or oh, I can't remember who it was. They did Dark Matters or something. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, he, he, they did that. I just don't remember. And then uh, I met him, his girl, his, I guess it's his wife now. They had a TV show out there, uh, some paranormal TV show. And I didn't mean to embarrass him. It was an accident. I was talking to his girlfriend at the time, who was one of the stars in the TV show and his other two co-hosts. And um, one of them said, well, I noticed that you come up a lot because it was still UFO Paranormal Radio at the time. I said, well, if you type in UFO Paranormal, I said, if you type in UFO Radio or Paranormal Radio, we're going to come up the first five things on the first five pages. Well, Richard says, oh, that's just because it's your computer. And as soon as he said that, his girlfriend says, no, I'm looking at him right now. He's first on everything. He's on Google, <laughs> Yahoo. And that's what it was until we switched names to United Public. We were always on the, the first first five on the first five pages because, I mean, that was our name and that's what we did. Now I think we're like the third or fourth page or something now. But it's not a name that we push as much because, frankly, even though we do a lot of UFO and paranormal stuff on the network, I can't get big name guests when I say, hey, I own UFO Paranormal Radio, and would you like to come on UFO on the cover to, like, Senator McConnell, they, they just kind of look at you like, what kind of drugs are you on, boy? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I noticed as soon as I changed the name to United Public Radio, the first politician I called came on the network. No problems at all. I was I was stunned. Now, on the UFO Paranormal, we've had lots of scientists come on. We've had Michio Keku, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Paul Levette, John Coos. Uh, we've had some really big-name scientists come on, theoretical physicists, stuff like that. Matter of fact, Michio Keiku, which to me was one of the best shows I've ever done, one of the lowest rated shows I've ever done, by the way. But to me, one of the best shows I've ever done, um, I introduced him to hardcore stepping stone theory. Because, you know, he came on the show, the show's titles, UFO on the cover, which I was surprised he came on. My wife got him somehow or another. <laughs> and uh, we started talking about aliens. And I said, well, you know, I said, couldn't we just do stepping stones? I said, couldn't we build a platform in Zone L11, and one on the moon, and one on Mars, and one out in the asteroid field, and one on one of the moons around Jupiter, and one of the moons around Saturn, and then maybe out on, on Pluto or, or Charon, and then another one out in the Oort cloud? You know, well, once we're in the Oort cloud, we're halfway to Proxima Centauri. So that's two light years out. So then you go from there to the halfway point between that and Proxima, which is one light year. You build a base there. So you're stepping along. You're never on a spaceship for long periods of time. So I'd throw you and your, your wife and the kids on there. They say ship you over to Mars. You spend a couple of months on Mars, and they ship you out to Io. You spend a couple of months out there. Then they ship you out. And, you know, you got travel time in between. But instead of having a, a well, say an eight-year travel time, it's going to still – it's going to end up taking you like 16 years to get there, but it's going to – but it's not going to be 16 years on a spaceship. Yeah. Um, and right now – According to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, we should be able to travel close to light speed um, without breaking it. So they're talking about inertial dampers now and force fields that can repel uh, micrometeorites and stuff like that. I mean, these are serious technologies we're talking about. And, of course, the downside to what we're talking about is 
it will work and it will get you there and it'll get your family there. But if you get anywhere above half a light speed, so at half light speed, proximus Centauri is seven years away is how far it is. At light speed, it's 3.85 light years away. So, so you're looking at a seven year trip or an eight year trip. Uh, like I said, a, a broke up trip though. You're going to spend months here, days here, weeks there. You, you know, you're going to be refueling at different stations. You're going to be seeing different places. Think about it. You'll probably get to spend six or eight months orbiting Saturn, which ought to be just stunningly beautiful. Uh, same thing with Jupiter. So, I mean, you're going to actually get to experience our solar system before you get to Proxima. And then, bam, you're at Proxima Centauri. You're starting a new colony. Uh, so him and I went through the whole series on how it worked, what it would take, what kind of money we were talking about. Man, listeners were dropping off like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> it was just too much. It was, it was just, it was way over the average listener's head. It was just too much science. It was, we geeked out. What can I say? I geeked out. I, <laughs> hey, I sometimes you can. You know, I enjoyed it. I mean, I had a great time. Same thing with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Him and I got to talking, and because both of them were really surprised that I knew as much about physics as I did. I, I still remember. You know, he said, How come? I said, I got a bachelor's in science. I said, in advanced avionics and electronics. He said, oh, he said, that makes more sense now. He said, you wanted them geekers that like to read. I said, I said, I had read some, some hard stuff. I mean, the universe in a nutshell was, even though it was written for layman, I don't think the average layman's going to understand it. I had a hard time with it myself. And I read some of a couple other people who put out stuff. I, I'm, I'm a geek. I can't help myself. I, I love to geek out. And, when you're a researcher like myself, you've got to look at everything. You yeah. know, we have to have ex- explanations for why. I mean, you're cruising through space. You look at Earth. Earth is beautiful, but is that enough to come here and decide to hang out for 100,000 or 50,000 years, however long E.T.'s been here? Um, what is it that brought them here in the first place? How long have they been here? Have they been here since we've been here? Or there are create. you know, I got in trouble with one of my, one of my Christian friends the other day because I said, I said, you know, right now there's only three ways that man came to be on this planet. God created us and put us here. Okay, that's one. That's all in what you believe. Panspermia brought us here, which is the current theory on evolution. Panspermia brought the building box of life, the positive, and they turned in life, or E.T. put us here. But really and truly, that's really the only three current explanations. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, in case you know, all three of the theories, none have been proven. In case you didn't know this, evolution is not a proven theory. I know you'd think as much as we hear about it, it would be a proven theory, but for some reason they just can't figure out how to prove it uh, because certain things defy the theory. Some yeah. things like the way man came to be. And if you look at natural course of evolution on this planet, man just popped out of nowhere. I mean, if you can follow every species, you can follow the duck or you can follow the platypus back almost like 2 million, 5 million, 10 million years. You can follow the horse back to almost the dinosaur era. Uh, but for some reason, you can follow a dolphin back 250 million years. But you can't follow a man back for 2 million years. Uh, something's just screwy. There's something that just, you know, and then whether you think we came from apes or not, I got a real good one from you. I can prove we didn't come from apes. You know how I know that? You know how I know that, Jordan? How is it? Okay, so if you're RH positive, you share 2% of your genes with the Reese's monkey. If you're RH negative, you have no genes related to any monkeys. Period. Now, Rh negative is when you say like you are A negative, blood, right? So you're a, o, o negative, or Rh negative, or Rh positive, or A positive. It's just the Rh factor in your bloodline. In case y'all didn't know, Rh means Reese's monkey. That's what the Rh stands for. Yeah, most people don't know that. Uh-uh. So if you're positive blood, 
whether it's A, A, B, O, what is it? It's O, B, A, B, and A. If you're any one of those positives, you share 2% of your genome with a monkey, a Reese's monkey. But if you're RH negative, you do not have that same gene. Matter of fact, RH negative people are a little bit different than RH positive. There's different things in their personality. There's different things in their blood. Like O negative is the universal donor. It's the purest form of blood known to man. I'm, yet, I'm O RH negative. Negative. Nice and pure. You know, me. Stay <laughs> back, vampires. RH negative is also a baby killer. Until we invented the anti-Gimson D gene, it used to kill babies. In case you haven't noticed, ladies and gentlemen, you used to have to get a blood type to get married. And why? Because RH positive and RH negative people were not compatible to have children. Mm -hmm. The children were stillborn. So why would Mother Nature create something that killed babies? And why would Mother Nature kill, support something that killed babies, but yet somehow still has managed to infect our population at 15% and growing now? Did y'all know back just less than a thousand years ago that green and blue eyes were less than 1% of the world's population? Today, it's almost 14%. Same thing with RH negative. That's because we're taking is, over. We are taking over. That's, that's what's starting to bother people because RH negative went from zero to 15%. They're saying within another thousand years, RH negative will be almost 30% of the world's population. Why? How's it growing so fast? What the hell is going on? What's driving this? I mean, it's outnumbered. I mean, in the beginning, it was 99 to 1. Now it's 85 to 15. I mean, but what's, what's, what's driving this? What's creating this? What, why are so many RH negative people being born? Why are, are, and why are they different? Why are their personality different? Why are their attitudes different? Why is their blood different? Well, go ahead and share with us what you think. <laughs> well, there's got to be a couple of reasons. One, like I said earlier, RH negative, O negative is the universal donor. So people always like to tell me AB negative and AB positive are the rarest forms of blood known to man. They're both 1.5% of the population. But that's not exactly true because they can both take RAO negative, which is 7% of the world's population. So technically they are 8.5%. RH negative, O negative people can only take O negative blood. They do not have the advantage of taking other bloods. They can only take O negative. But their blood can be given to anyone else on the planet, anyone. Doesn't matter what blood type you are, your body will take RH negative, O negative, I should say. Oh. Uh, you figure that one out. And then on top of that, O negative is the purest form of blood known to man. It's where all of our hemological research comes. On the iCar site, people at iCar1.com, or it's just iCar, what is it? Yeah, iCar1.com. Um, if you go there, you'll see there was three different hematologists I worked with. Uh, all of their maps are up there, and uh, it shows you some remarkable things like, did you know that South America and Central America are 98% O blood? 98%. Really? Yeah. It's a fact, ladies. So you don't take my word for it. You can look it up for yourself. Uh, it's a fact. You explain that to me. Even the hematologist couldn't explain it to me. He's like, we have no idea why that. He said, if everybody would have came over in land bridge, like they said they did, and then migrated down to the south and then migrated back up, which is how it's supposed to work, he said, where do these other blood types come from? He said, for south, for Central and South America to be 98%, oh, he either suggests that they came from a different lineage and they were here before the people that came over the land bridge, or there was two crossings of the land bridge. There was the original people who came over who were 
well, oh, 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 blood. And then the other people who came over later who were the normal mix of, you know, 36% O, 38% A, 1.5% this, 7% that, they were a normal mix. And if you look at a map, you'll notice it's clusters of blood. Yeah. So it's not like a generic thing that goes across your country like, okay, 38% of the people are, are O positive. Yeah, well, that, that group of people, they may be in groups and not scattered around the country. So you can actually see where people in groups settled, family lines settled in. You can also kind of tell that some of this was probably inbreeding uh, because of these these areas where you have such large populations of one blood type. Well, I am in West Virginia. (laughs) I'd be more worried about New York than West Virginia, my friend. (laughs) Uh, It's, um, you know, people don't realize because the South gets a bad rap, but... We weren't the only ones that practiced it. Matter of fact, really rich people and royal people tend to have practiced it more than. Oh, big time. Big time. Why do they call them blue bloods? Because <laughs> <laughs> your blood was screwy. I, I don't know. It's, it's a strange thing, but for me, I want to know how it got here. Because here's some other stuff for y'all. So, in case y'all noticed, ladies and gentlemen, two million years ago, everybody in this planet was RH positive brown-eyed and brown or black hair. That was it. We were a very boring species. Somewhere along the line, and for some reason, because blue eyes are, are, and green eyes are a mutation, just like RH negative, it's a mutation. Some reason, 40,000 years ago, or th- depending on who you want to argue with, 40 to 25 to 40,000 years ago, Mother Nature, we're just going to say Mother Nature, decided that we needed RH negative. So she decided that, what, there was too many people on the planet, we we're going to start killing them off. We that's decided what, to throw in a mutation that's going to kill. Because let's be honest, 25,000 years ago, being a universal donor or the purest form of blood to humans didn't matter much, did it? We They wouldn't have known what to do with it back then. Only in recent times have we figured that out in the last, what, 50 years. So why would she have created that? Doesn't make any sense why, she, why Mother Nature would have created it. It would make sense why an extraterrestrial race may have created it. Or to throw another wrench in the, to the, the box, if you go back about 10,000 years or 12,000 years, the Sumerians used to talk about a civilization that came to this planet that were human-like. Yeah. They looked like us, but they were taller, bigger, and their heads were shaped differently than ours. They went further back on our head. Well, they talked about they built these two great white dome cities because they couldn't breathe the atmosphere on this planet. So they built two covered cities. The Sumerians really? talked about this in great detail. So the people that so that race decided they were going to create a race just like yourselves to rule this planet and help get the mine and the minerals out of it. Well, that race could actually breathe the atmosphere. So they decided probably 10,000 years later, like, why the hell are we doing this? Let's just create what the Sumerians call the seven creations of man, the eagle-headed man, the dog-headed man. Anyway, with the last humans looking like us, but not quite us. Um, they were a slave race. They w- knew how to procreate. They knew how to make meat. They knew how to make clothes. They knew how to plow the fields, but they never asked why. So the Dogons start talking about, remember, Sumerians are in the Middle East. The Dogons are in the Middle East. They're descendants of the Egyptians. The Dogons knew things like uh, they knew about the dog star, which you can't see with a naked eye. They also knew the orbit of the dog star was 55.5 years. They figured this out with no radio telescope. Mm. That's interesting. They also knew the human circulation of man. They did brain surgery. They knew that the Dogon, the dog star, was so dense that a spoonful of matter from it would fall through the planet. How the hell would they know that? 
I mean, we didn't find that out until like 1960. Yeah. So, and there was, and still to this day, there's no way to see these stars, but their calendar was based on the orbit of it. They also predicted Cirrus B and Cirrus C, which we didn't find out until recent times they even existed. So here you have an advanced race talking about advanced things that were way before their time. There was no way an African tribe living in, a, in, in the Middle East at the top of a mountain somewhere could have known this. There's just no possible way. Somebody had to tell them or show them. Uh, well, they said that the reptilians came, landed in a nearby lake, put their ship in the lake, came walking out of the lake, and started teaching them these things. They also found out that the reptilians used to go down to Samaria and wondered why these stupid humans were being slaves. So somewhere along the line, the reptilians decided they started stealing the women, raping the women, and bringing them back. Now, this is in both stories, by the way. The Sumerians talk about this, and the Dogon talk about this. There's even mention about this in the Egyptian culture as well. So this is actually more documented than some of our religious people are. So you, you got to wonder why we just kind of play it off. But we'll, we'll, we'll believe in this guy or that guy. But here we've actually got proof in three different countries that these people existed. So they talked about them. They used to go in, steal the women, rape the women, bring them back. Well, the first time I heard the story, I thought the children were being born. They always described them as being different. I said, well, they must look like reptilians or something. Yeah. But that's not what it was. They became self-aware. They didn't want to plow the field anymore. They rebelled and they took over. So at that point, all humans got what? All humans have a reptilian section in their brain. I get more fights over this, especially my Christian friends. We don't have no reptilian. I said, every human on the planet has a reptilian section in their brain. You can't argue with me. It's a science fact. I said, a matter of fact, it's a very important part of our brain. Without it, we would be very docile and very easily controlled. So that little piece makes humans human. Uh, whether it's reptilian or not, it's one of the pieces that's very crucial to who and what we are. Still, though, people argue with me all the time. I said, look it up. I got this guy screaming at me on a radio show a couple of weeks ago, actually a TV show. He called in. He's screaming at me. I said, you got a computer? He said, yeah. I said, type it in. He typed, oh. I'm like, well, oh, what? He's, 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 I said, yeah, every human on the planet has got a reptilian section in your brain. Deal with it. I said, I know you don't think God would put that there, but I guess God thought you needed a little reptilian. Oh, geez, I should have never said that. Um, but it's, you know, it's there and it's true. Now, the Bible mentions no mentions of humans having any reptilian in them anywhere, nor does it mention us being a slave race at any period or time. So, but here you've got something that's before the Bible, before the New Testament even. Now, Joe, it does talk about fallen angels coming down and sleeping with the people and creating uh, pretty much a hybrid culture. And the hybrids. And, and basically what you get is you've got uh, a human hybrid, you've got a reptilian hybrid, and now you have a gray hybrid. So unless each one of these is represented as a different type of angel, and, and you know, I used to teach Wednesday and Sunday school. You know, I was very religious when I was young. And um, there's just no mention of these anywhere in any of the Bible. They're not even mentioned as being demons or anything like that. Even the Satanist culture won't take credit for the reptilians or the humans or the grays. They're scared of them. But here's a completely side note for y'all. I'm speaking with Monsignor Balducci in D.C. Uh, Paula Harris is actually translating because he speaks Italian. So, you know, the Vatican for a long time has known extraterrestrials that visited the planet. They've had evidence for a long time. 
Well, Monsignor admitted not only did they have the evidence in front of a live audience, but that the Vatican considers the aliens to be more spiritually enlightened than humans. They said his words wow, really? that they were much closer to God than we are. So I was just taken back. I didn't know what to think about it, Joe. It completely caught me off guard. I was not expecting that to come out of a Mount Senior's mouth anywhere. So I asked him again just to make sure, and he repeated I'm like, shit. So two years later, I run into the astronomer for the Vatican. So I told him what Monsignor told me. He said, oh, no, that's true. He said, we, we believe that they're closer to God than we are. So about eight months after that, I was at the um, cathedral in New Orleans, and one of the bishops were there. And I just said, look, I got to ask you this. I said, I know this is off the wall. And I asked him, and he looked at me, and he fiddled around with his hands. He said, come sit down here with me. He said, we're not supposed to talk about this. He said, but it's true. He said the Vatican definitely considers them to be more spiritually enlightened than we are because, number one, they're probably several million years older than we are, which means they have known God for a much longer time than we have. He said it's hard for us to stop and conceive it. He said, but we've had evidence since the Vatican was created that the planet was being visited. His words. So I've talked wow. to about 20 people now inside the Vatican that actually live in Vatican City that have told me that this is the church's official response to this. Well, time is different, too, I think. Like, time for us—this is the way I believe it, that time for us as humans is different than time for God. Like, a blink of an eye for God might be a million years for us. Like, there's just no correlating the uh, timeline. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, because the seven days of creation, to me, would have been seven million years for us, but seven days for him. Yeah. A lot of people—or she—I don't want to say him, because it could be anything, but— um, a lot of people believe a day in a human life for for God is, is equal to one million years. I don't know. Nah, you know, when I die, I'll be sure to ask them. But uh, as of right now, I have no idea. But it would make more sense than the current theories that that we understand, or, or we, or I should say, we don't understand. Um, it would it would just make more sense. But you know, a good friend of mine who's who's teaches he's a he runs a Baptist seminary in the middle of the country, one of the biggest. Baptist groups in the country. I got to talk to him one day, and I said, did you ever stop to think that Jesus might have been an astronaut? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, well, let's go through what all happened. I said, remember this. This is 20, at the time it was 2020. I said, think about this. Most of the miracles performed by Christ can now be performed by man, so we can't really list them as miracles anymore, because if man can reproduce them, they're not a miracle. They may have been a miracle 2,000 years ago, but in today's society, they're not. I said, so here's an advanced race, came and landed on this planet, found this mess of what we call the planet at the time the Roman Empire was rampaging across the planet, and thought maybe they could fix it. Because on another side note, until the birth of Christ, reptilians ruled the planet. If you Almost every culture prior to that believed in reptilians. They thought, thought reptilians were the bearers of life to bring us the good stuff. They thought the humans were evil. And, and you can check out all the Mesoamericans. They all believed that. Most of the African tribes believed that. <clears throat> Most of the Middle Eastern people believed it. Um, it wasn't until the birth of Christ that we actually seen a flip. We've seen the reptilians become the evil bearers of everything evil. If, if it was evil, it was a serpent or a demon. Remember, the serpent in the Bible, you know, there's a serpent in the Bible who it does what? Gives Eve the, the the apple of knowledge. Yeah, they brought it out. So, in other words, before that, by the Bible's own hand, before Satan got in there, Adam and Eve were morons. 
They didn't know anything. They knew how to, they didn't even know to close themselves. They didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden, we have someone who gives them knowledge. And what's the first thing they do is close themselves because they became self-aware and realized they were naked to the world. They became self-aware at that moment. So you can look at it however you want, good, bad, or indifferent, <clears throat> but the story can go either way. Mm. And that's what's made it so hard on the churches in, in future times because there are uh, well, alternative explanations now that are, have more evidence-based than religion does. Religion is still religion. You know, I, I tell people all the time, define yourself as spiritual, not as religious. You know, being spiritual is one thing, being religious is nothing. Being religious means you're following religious doctrine that usually is not going to be correct. I mean, a good stuff that was written in the Bible like dinosaurs 6,000 years ago. Mm, sorry. And remember, everything that happened in both Testaments happened in the last 6,000 years. Well, we both know that's impossible. All three of us know that's impossible. So somebody in this big story we're talking about is not telling us the truth. Now, people, before you get offended, that doesn't mean there's not a God. It doesn't mean Jesus wasn't the Son of God. It just means that you need to pay attention when someone's telling you something and make sure you're asking the right questions um, because you really need to know. If you're going to follow and worship anything or anyone, you need to ask the right questions. What do you mean somebody just That's sent me That's true, up? yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just good advice. Uh, and people, before anybody asks, I do believe in the supreme entity out there. So I want you all to understand that. I'm not anti-God or anti-Jesus for that matter. I cost myself, matter of fact, I cost myself a $300,000 a year job because I said Jesus could have been an astronaut. I was working for Mickey D's at the time as a general manager on my way to being a supervisor. <clears throat> I was making good money. This is in the early 80s. It tells you how much today it'd be like 700K a year. Wow. And, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, it, it is an explanation that no one can just say, well, it's not true. Well, you got to prove it's not true. You can't just say it's not true. You got to prove it's not true, and that's that's a hard thing to do because really, I guarantee you, within fifty years, there will not be a miracle that Jesus performed that we won't be able to perform today. We're well on our way to curing um, which McCall to gets all over your skin, uh, walking on water. We can do that right now. We actually have the ability to walk on water right now in several different ways, and in another fifty years, we'll just be using anti gravity to do it. As far as feeding the masses. You can go outside right now along a shore and drop two quarter sticks in the water, and you just ran up a whole shoal of fish onto the beach. Boom. There they are for to feed the masses. So, and then waving your hand and being able to tell what somebody has, we're well on our way to that now. We have equipment. Shit, your iPhone can damn near do that on its own now. Um, so my point is, is what was considered something 2,000 years ago is not necessarily the same for the more educated people that are here today. Uh, it, it's you, you're going to need a more plausible explanation than what was given to us from 2000 years ago. Because like I said, every year we learn how to perform another one of these miracles. So like I said, once a human makes it, it's no longer a miracle. It's just something we can do. So really and truly, if we're going to be talking about miracles, then you need, you know, like God to come down on the planet and cure all the sick people or bring everybody away or, do something, you know, in a grand scale. That might be, might be considered a miracle, but then let's not stop to think. Any alien race that's more than a few hundred thousand years old can easily produce anything that was done as a miracle 2,000 years ago. Hell, in, in 20,000 years, we'll be able to do things that they couldn't have done, even thought of. 
Yeah, and it's all perspective too. Not. Like, what is the understanding now compared to then? And I understand. Well, think of like saying. this for both of you. I think of it like this. Say, say we're 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 traveling in space, and we land on a planet that is where we were two thousand years ago, and we decide to help them out. Everything we do is going to look like a god to them, from striking your big lighter and causing flames, to having your lasers out and cutting down trees and and, and clearing out things with equipment. None of this they will be able to understand. It'll be too far beyond them. Mm-hmm. So the only way they'll be able to treat us is gods. And of course, we're not gods. We're just everyday goofy humans. But in the grand scheme of the universe, there are lots of worlds out there that would consider us to be gods. Again, it still doesn't make us gods. So we always have to stop and think, what are the possibilities that an advanced alien race visited this planet a long time ago and got misunderstood or mistaken for gods? Now I think I think like you get into like the the Roman and Greek gods and things like that. Mm-hmm. I really do think that you know there were beings here that they saw and worshipped the way that they you know were written about interacting. I think that it's possible that that you know some ETs came down and did their thing. Well, it it, it it's a tough thing, and you know and. I've been I've been asked a few times to give lectures like these at Catholic schools and Baptist schools and stuff like that, and they they want me to give them so that the pastor or the preacher can come behind me and, and try to clarify, but it makes more <laughs> trouble for them than it's worth. I told him to these guys, I said no, guys, I said the way I'm going to present this, especially if I'm going to do a lecture, I'm going to do it in a very organized fashion, not like I'm doing a radio show. And I said it's going to be hard to disprove it. I said so, be careful what you ask for. Well, the last one I did, I did for uh, for for uh, a big Catholic church. A, actually a huge Catholic church and when I when I was done they were clapping and he was stunned I mean even the pastor was stunned he said I, I, I never he was stuttering he said I've never thought of it like this before he said so we could be worshiping the wrong thing I said no I said I said you gotta understand something I said whoever this being was whether he was the son of God or he's an extraterrestrial or if he was just a human I said all we know for sure is he lived and he inspires all of us. I said, so that's all we really need to take away from this. I said, we don't have to worry about anything other than that, that this, but the fact that he inspires us. Because we do know for a fact, the Romans showed Jesus lived. The Jews showed Jesus lived, and the Muslims did. The problem is, is only the Christians believed he was the son of God. The Romans did not. The Jews thought he was a minor prophet, and the Mo- Muslims also thought he was a minor prophet. They never thought he was the son of God. Only the Christians believed that. And remember, it was the only the way for the Christians to get into heaven is to have Jesus. Because according to the Old Testament, only the 12 tribes were allowed to go, which was 144,000 Jews. Mm-hmm. No one else got to go. Mm. So we needed something that allowed us us other people into, into heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus became for us, a way into heaven. Uh, it's it's you know so you have to take it all with a grain of salt and you have to really stop and think about it and know my job is not to convince of y'all your faith or to convince you that you don't have faith I, I, I tell people always the same thing if you see something or you believe something and it makes you feel as snug as a bug in a rug you should keep believing it because you know life is short on this planet and there's a lot of chaos so if you got something that really makes you feel that you're in control or you feel loved, then you should stay there. I'm not lying to you. You should definitely stay there. Uh, I would I would still like to believe – I'd still like to be ignorant to the world if I could be today. I just right. – unfortunately. Um, but I, I want people – I don't want – you know, because people sometimes get the wrong idea here and they, and they, and they want to start hating or – you know. But again, 
it's a theory, people, just like that he was the son of God or he was a human. Because remember, both the Muslims and the Jews think that Jesus was just a man and not even a special man. So you're taking the words of the Catholic Church, basically, who we know lies. <laughs> so I'm just warning people ahead of time, man. It's like uh, I got some friends that are, are, are Mormons, and I always give them shit because I want to know when they're leaving the planet. In case you ought to know, people, Mormons think that they're not from Earth, uh, that they are they belong to a different world, and they're going to go out there and meet their God and their Creator, which, by the way, they think is part extraterrestrial. Uh, and boom, and they're not the only religion, by the way, that believes that we did not originate on this planet, and God is not the one who put us here. So let me explain. They still believe in God. They just don't believe that God was the one that put us on this planet, that we were brought here. A lot of people think Earth is a prison colony just like Australia was. I have no idea if that's true or not. But a lot of people do feel that we were put here. And here's something else for y'all. Did you know that your biological clock is set to 24 and a quarter hours and that your body works best in the average temperature of 73 degrees Fahrenheit? These are science facts, by the way. Yeah. Um, so Earth, in case you didn't know, optimal temperature is around 80 degrees. So it's hotter than what our human bodies recommended for. Also, Earth only has a 23 and three quarter hour day. Mars has a 24 and a quarter hour day. Hold on, first, so it's first good, I want to interrupt yeah. you. You said the perfect temperature outside is like in the 80s? No, no. For, for, so in, on this planet, if you did an overall temperature oh. of the planet on an optimal day, it would be around 84 degrees. Of course, we're in climate change now, so that's probably going up. I was about but to say, because it's like 70 degrees today, and I still got my air conditioner on. Yeah, well, I got mine on, too. I feel for you, buddy. I know what you mean. But uh, but up north, it's getting cool. A lot of my friends up north are already seeing snow. We were in uh, Colorado just a week ago. It was already getting cold up there. Uh, we were in Salt Lake City. It was already getting cold up there. It was still warm in the daytime, but it was cold at night. Um, so overall, our bodies are not designed for the planet we live on. So if you believe God put us here, then God made a boo-boo when he created our bodies. Well, God don't make boo-boos, so what's going on? So did God actually put us on Mars? And then Mars went foobar whenever it went foobar, and we all ended up coming here. Now, you know, we talk about cities like Atlanta that have sunk and gone. So to help you all out, if, if today's society was 100 years older than it is today or 500 years older than it is today, and we were all digital society, if there was a giant catastrophe and there were no paper books, we'd all end up in the Stone Age again. We'd have to revert all the way back before yeah. we could come forward again. So that's what they think happened. Atlantis came here. They were building civilizations because, you know, they were building pyramids in Egypt, pyramids in, in uh, South America, and something happened. And we don't know what happened. It does look like there was a city because we do notice a sunken city sitting off the coast of Cuba right now in 2,000 feet of water. There's actually two. There's one in the harbor that's in 800 feet of water, and there's one around the other side that's in 2,000 feet of water, which they said the one – there's three pyramids there – they said the one pyramid could fit all the pyramids of Giza inside. Wow. Now, these, these are facts. You can still find pictures of these online. There's not very many left because, the, the, for some reason, uh, the Archaeological Society, it was a Canadian-Cuban Archaeological Society that found it. Um, the reason I got pervy information is a good friend of mine, Barry, who drives a yellow submarine, deep-sea submersible, is down in uh, – he works down in um, – Central America, all through like Hades and all that. There's a lot of diving down there for him. He got the commission to dive these cities, and he was sending me pictures. 
And uh, we had a lot of good stuff. And some of it I even still have. Most of it's just, you know, collectible stuff. But um, so it proved that there was a city there. Now we found another road in the, in, in, out there in the Mediterranean and in the, um, off the Gulf Coast. And uh, whatever, where the Gulf meets, the, I keep saying Mediterranean, but it's not what I mean. It's where the Gulf meets the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Um, there seems to be a lot of weird stuff on the water there. And of course there is the, the Bermuda Triangle, which we still don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does seem to be, and re- recently they've been finding artifacts washing up on Florida shores uh, from all over the Gulf State from the storms are bringing them up. So it looks like there was a city, a very large city that sunk, uh, and it sunk deep. So there was some kind of catastrophe. It couldn't have been the ice age because that's too much water. I mean, we're talking 2,000 feet. Even if you melted all the ice on the planet, you're never going to get 2,000 feet. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, before I go on, before anybody writes to me or writes to Jordan or his sweet wife, let me explain something to y'all. If you ever had a glass of water with ice in it, when ice melts, it doesn't overflow the glass because the water's already been displaced. So any ice, which is the majority of the ice is already in the water, it doesn't matter if that ice melts. It's not going to raise the, the, the thing. The only water you have to worry about is the glaciers that are landlocked. That's the ones you have to worry about. That's what's going to raise the seas. And it's not going to raise the seas, no 20 feet. That's an impossibility. It's just not enough ice. So you can believe whatever you want, but you can go do the math for yourself. There's several sites that list how much ice is still on the planet, what its melt rate is, and how much how many inches it will raise if it all completely melts. And in case y'all didn't know this, this will not be the first time that our planet is iceless. It's happened several times in its history. The whole entire dime, the whole 200 million years the dinosaurs were here, there was no ice on this planet anywhere. And guess what? It wasn't flooding the, the place away. It was still here. Hey, Joe, I, big continents, you know, and so I, you know, I don't want people to take global warming lightly, or, or I should say climate change because it's not global warming, because we are going through a, a phase. But I want you to understand that it's not what we're being told, because it's not the first time that ice has melted on this planet. It's not going to be the last time that ice melts on this planet. And let's not forget, until 1988, every scientist on this planet said we were going through what the ice age. So it's not until very recent times that we've gone into a warming phase. And in case y'all didn't know this, before every ice age, there's a warming phase. So, so you think we're going to have another ice age? That's what all the major scientists said until the, the 80s. And and then there's other little problems, you know, with some of the, the stuff they come up with, some of the data. You know, like they said, um, they said the seas were rising. So they went out and tested the seas on five different occasions, and it wasn't rising. So... Noah came out and said that it was in a hiatus. The global warming went into a hiatus. Then they said it was a bad algorithm, but still the new algorithm still says the same thing. It's not rising. It hasn't actually risen. Uh, The only place it's risen is on the Atlantic on the other side, and it was 0.0001 millimeters. That's, That's non-existent is what that is. So believe what you want, but the real math is there for you to go look at it for yourself. I have no doubt that there's climate change going on our planet. I have no doubt there's always going to be climate change going on our planet. It's, it's been like this. And another little fact, in case y'all don't know, the last 10,000 years has been the calmest this planet has ever been, ever mm. been. So we may simply be reverting back to the planet's normal climate. And one last side note while we're on climate change, the outer planets are also warming. I'm not sure man can cause the outer planets to warm. I'm sorry, guys. 
Hey, Joe. But there is something there is something that could, in case y'all didn't know this, we live amongst a bunch of red dwarfs that are coming in from the Sagittarius galaxy. You know, the Milky Way eats galaxies all the time. Right now, we're eating six of them currently, but the one closest to us is the Sagittarius galaxy. So recently, we found out that Earth and our solar system is completely surrounded from these red dwarfs that came from the solar system. So some scientists are saying that Earth is not native to the Milky Way, that it's actually from the Sagittarius galaxy, not from this one. Because all the stars around us are from the Sagittarius galaxy. You figure it out. How did they get us all around us and, and we're not one of them? It's, yeah. So I've heard this theory go back and forth a dozen times. I've heard, oh, scientists bullshit. And then some say, oh, no, it's not bullshit. And it goes back. You know, and, and one thing science is guaranteed, if it's going to hurt someone's ego, it's not going to get changed immediately, which is a sad thing because it's taken us so long to progress because, you know, we, we don't want to say somebody's wrong or something's not right. Or like Einstein. Einstein was brilliant, but not all of his theories were correct. We know that now. You know, but for a long time, everything he said, we took as gospel. But today we realize that not everything was gospel. He was brilliant and he brought us a long ways. But some of his stuff that led us into quantum mechanics and stuff like that wasn't correct. You'd have to go to uh, Dr. Paul. I never can say his name, right? L-E-V-E-T-T-E-A or something like that. Um, he's the cosmic pulse guy. He's the one to prove the cosmic pulse exists, uh, which happens about every 26,000 years. The, the pulse gives off a, a burp, basically, and it, it happens. But, you know, it takes a long time to get here because the core is a long ways away from us. It's, what, 100 light years away, 100,000 light years away. So it takes a while to get here, but it does happen. And they've proved it by taking ice core samples. They have found the material from the core in these ice core samples. So they know what happens. And what happens is, is you'll start noticing a blue glow for probably 100,000 years. As it gets closer and closer and closer, the solar system will start to cloud up. You'll start seeing dust enter the solar system. Eventually, there'll be enough dust to block out the sun, which will trigger at first an ice age, and then it'll trigger a super global warming event. And then the planet will kick back into normal after probably 50 or 80,000 years of this. Uh, but they prove it happens. And it's just a matter of time before it happens again. Uh, so with the ice core samples, we know it's real. So there's lots of stuff that we don't want to talk about that contradicts a lot of what science says, and there's lots of stuff that backs up science. But and I'm a big geek; I love science. I'm gonna, I love science. How many how many books do you read, Joe? <sighs> Not as much as I used to. You know what I do now? To be totally honest with you, when people want to send me stuff, I ask them to send me audio books because I do a lot of driving. Uh, I average about fifty to sixty thousand miles a year, so oh, wow. I just put it on the car stereo and listen. It's way easier for me. I also pay more attention when I'm, when I'm listening like that. So I pick up more knowledge. Um, matter of fact, that was what I was doing through it. Because I wanted to know, like with L. Ron Hubbard, I wanted to know who this guy was. I mean, you know, I've heard a lot of stuff about this guy over the years that are not so polite. And um, I found out most of that was BS, but he's got a brilliant mind. He thinks, so did you know this guy invented a way to help you get rid of your problems without needing drugs or shrink? So I didn't know what this was. I had you know, heard about Dianetics and all that crap. I was about to say, and, you get, are, are you getting ready to give me a Scientologist pitch? No, 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 listen, no, no, listen, listen. So, <laughs> so I'm reading this article. I was watching one of the newsreels, you know, from the 40s, or actually from the early 40s, late 30s, there were newsreels, and I was just listening to one and watching it. So Elwin, most people know this, he was a Navy commander. He commanded both a ship in the Pacific and in the Atlantic. So he, he 
he was sitting on a ship one day and he couldn't figure out why his guys were taking so long to get back. They, you know, some of them had just minor injuries and it was taking months to get them back. So he went, he, he went in, you know, went in shore and went and talked to the Navy doctor. The Navy doctor said it was more about what was in their head than what was healing. So he started working with them. He came up a way to go back and find the problem in your head and immediately pull it out. So the Navy put this, so did the Air Force, they put this to use because it was bringing guys and flipping them out in less than two weeks with no drugs or no psychologist. The doctor could do it. So the Navy and the Air Force both implemented this well, and they were going to keep it. Well, Elwan decided that he got into a fight with um, some politicians. So the Senate was going to allow for the psychologist to build a place in Alaska where all they had to do is sign your name and they could send you there. Okay. They could say, okay, well, Jordan, you know, he was acting like this. We're going to send him up there for eight months without any, without any review or anything. So he got in a big fight with him. He knew a bunch of congressmen and senators. He got in a big fight and he fought him for, I think it was two years and he got the bill overturned. Well, it was the biggest mistake in his life because what happened after that was that the pharmaceuticals and the senators with money invested went after his ass. Oh. The first thing they did was pull his work from the Navy and the Air Force. They told him they couldn't use it anymore uh, because he wasn't a, a psychologist, even though it worked perfectly. And all the psychologists in the Navy signed off on it, but they pulled it, and they went after him in every way they could. They were attacking him on the newsreels and the media. And, and you can actually see it. You can actually, when you go back and watch the newsreels, you can watch him from like 1930 all the way up until – 48 they praised the man they loved him and then all of a sudden it flipped uh, and then he wrote Dianetics and Scientology was born which people I'm not a Scientologist I'm sorry to say I just it's not something I can do I'm not <laughs> I'm not I'm not that kind of religion even though it's science religion it's not like religion religion they don't look at the world the way we do and I don't know per se if they believe in a creator in the way we do I, I think they just believe that you know science can solve their problems and so far and i gotta honestly say this everyone i've met in the religion has been a perfect person it's kind of scary it really is kind of scary they're the but real the, aliens right there they're just 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 they might be a, i always think of the stepford wives yeah the stepford wives <laughs> i don't know what it is man i just i just think of it sometimes but i mean like i said all of them i met over there who are scientologists have gone out of their way to be nice to me they take good care of me they're they're well behaved they don't not one time has anybody tried to even tell me about Scientology, much less ask me to join. Um, no one's ever even mentioned it to me. If if I wouldn't have been nosy and asked, I wouldn't have even found out about it. But you know how I am. i got to ask any any. Because with L. Ron Hubbard, I had to ask, you know, are y'all Scientologists? And they didn't lie. They told me the truth. I was stunned. I was like, I was waiting for some bullshit lie, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't. They just told me the truth. So all I can tell you people, I'm not a Scientologist, and all I can tell you about the people I've met in Scientology is they're very nice people, very well-educated, very well-managed, very well-dressed. They're just, they're just good people in general, and they will go out of their way to help you and not expect anything in return, which is a weird thing on today's planet. Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you what Brad Pitt said. He said it's the hardest thing he's ever tried to do. He, he actually asked – he made a video because you know, he's trying to become a Scientologist. He said, I don't know how people do this. He said, I'd, I'd have to do this 24-7 for the next two years just to even get in. He said, I don't know how Tom Cruise did it or John Travolta. He started naming off all these people. He said, I don't know, man. This is tough. <laughs> it is. It's, what I hear, it's really tough to get in. Um, you pretty much have to be asked. And from what I understand, it is a lot of work, a lot of work. And I'm just not going to, you know, 
I don't, I don't need that kind of work to believe in anything. So. I, I ain't need that kind of stress in my life. I don't. I don't. But like I said, everybody over there is really nice, really kind. Um, I haven't had any problems with any of them. No one's ever lied to me yet so far. And that's what this all started over was going out and investigating them for Writers of the Future awards. Because, uh, you know, it's a prestigious award, and people who win it can get, you know, end up being big writers and big publishers and big illustrators because the people who judge them are already that. Yeah. But no. They they don't even ask. And by the way, in case you don't know, the judges are not Scientologists. In case you don't know that, uh, they're just people like we are, wealthy millionaire people like we are. But uh, you know, Tim Powers is a blast. I always like talking to him. He's a high energy. One of the things they do you if you win is one day you're there, they give you 24 hours to write a story. They just say, okay, this is what it's going to be about. You got 24 hours to tout it out. It's <laughs> like no, really no pressure. <laughs> You know, and the illustrators are the same way. But you know, I've I've met everybody. All the judges have been fabulous. I got interviews out with them, and I've talked to them about things like aliens and other stuff like that. And they're sci-fi fantasy people, so they don't have problems with aliens. They're like, yeah, let's do. <laughs> they're it. all about it. Tell me more. I'm going to write it in my next book. I uh, know, and, and you know what? And Chase ought to notice, ladies and gentlemen, anybody can submit, and you can submit four times a year. Yep. So you got four chances a year to get in, and and it is blind judge. They. They don't care what color you are. They don't care if you're woke either. They don't care about any of that stuff. All they care is you're a good writer or a good illustrator. I'm still floored by that. I've just usually when somebody tells me stuff like that, I go investigate it and I find out oh, they want five hundred dollars for this or a thousand dollars for that or mm-hmm. you know you got to you got to pay for this or pay. For, oh, in case you didn't know this, you still own your story and they pay you per word for your story. The big winner gets five thousand dollars. I think everybody else gets a thousand plus the free trip out to L.A. and all. And to get to work with all these judges, and, and these judges want to help you. That's that's the really strange part, because most of the time when I meet millionaires, they're not all that wanting to spend their time helping you. But it's different with these guys. They these ladies and gentlemen want to help you out. They they want to see. Uh, I met uh, Ann McCaffrey's son, uh, Todd McCaffrey's an interesting guy. Ann's got a lot of books to her credit. Uh, Joey uh, Joey Large, she's one of and was one of the people that worked with Ann. And, I mean, they're just a bunch of great writers over there. I mean. They got a great fantasy and the anthologies, by the way, we're going to be giving them away from uh, starting this, this week, all the way until Christmas. We're giving away, uh, last year we gave away 1500 books this year. We're going to give away 2000. Wow. We're also giving away two very expensive Seiko watches and two lightsabers. Real ones. Real ones. Yes. (laughs) That one sitting over there. Well, you know, you know, I was out of dragon con for Atlanta. I went to Atlanta for Dragon Con for a week, and I just got back from uh, Fan X in uh, Salt Lake City. Nice. I was up there, and I met the guy who who does the lightsabers in Salt Lake City, and he gave me one. He sent me Obi um, Obi Wan's that's coming in a couple of weeks, and then uh, uh, what's his name? Sons uh, is coming. Uh, you know the red one with the two things that come out the side. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, his is coming too. So I have all three of them. I'm keeping one for myself. The one that don't make no noise, I'm keeping for myself. The other two, though, I'm giving away. They're, they're going to be a sponsor on the network, actually, and uh, sell some some lightsabers on the network. But um, and you know, I met. I actually got a sponsor. I got the lightsaber guy. I got one of the sword guys. They're going to come sponsor. Uh, it's weird. I was in the back where all they sign all the autographs, and this guy pulled me inside. He said, Are "You Joe?" And I looked at him like, "And who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> Next thing I know, there's like 18 people standing around me just asking for autographs and stuff like that. I stepped in uh, Sots and Cortez, uh, Colorado. I'm in the shop talking to this guy. He recognized me. He wanted an autograph. My wife's looking at me like, what? I'm like, 
I forget, you know, I forget sometimes I do TV and I just forget, you know, I've been in, you know, full articles done on me in newspapers and I had the uh, Australian Science Journal do a whole section on me in their journal and uh, we fought back and forth for six months, man. Six months I fought with them assholes, excuse my language, but we did. But they were great. I mean, uh, Alfred Weber got me in trouble with him when he said, oh, there's 1.5 billion abductees on the planet. I was like, Alfred, you did not just say that. Well, you said 10 to 15 percent. That's that's what 10 to 15. I said, Albert, you can't use numbers like that. <laughs> but I mean, when two days I get it, I get wrote up in this science journal and I read the write up. I said, you got to listen to a damn thing I said. So I wrote it back. I said, if you're going to write me up or write some BS, at least listen to what I said first. So I actually sent him a transcription of them. So they did another article. Then I did a rebut. They went back and forth for a while. And then finally they gave in and said, okay, well, it's possible that we could be being visited. Of course it is. You know it is. But it was, it was a great argument. It's like um, Kathy Baldwin. Her and I got into it over Betty and Barney Hill because I don't believe – first of all, I don't believe Betty was an abductee. I think Barney was. And I think the one they talked about that made him famous was a military abduction. Matter of fact, the first time I brought this up on Coast to Coast, George Norrie told me live on the air – You'll never change my mind about the Betty and Barney Hill case. I said, okay, can I talk now? He's like, yeah, it's my first appearance on Coast, by the way. And uh, so I started talking about it. He got all quiet. It was just like, shh. So I was just talking. I'm 30 minutes in. I still ain't heard a word from George. So I stopped. What do you think, George? He's like, uh, we got to go to break. <laughs> <laughs> we, we go to break. He's like, man, I think you changed my mind. Wow. He said, I've never, ever heard that, ever submitted that way. He said, you just... He said, you want a hell of a researcher, man. Because let's be honest. I mean, Betty said things like swinging doors. There ain't no swinging doors in an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Shit, there ain't swinging doors in our spacecraft. Uh, <clears throat> you know, roll out tables, pull out drawers, pull down maps. That was current technology of the time. Yeah. Matter of fact, she said when they did things, they took like scraping, skin scrapings and hair scrapings and blood samples with needles. It's not, that's not an ET contact. That's a military abduction. So this is what's so funny to me. The Hills were actually abducted in Canada. They, they were staying at a hotel in Canada. That morning they got up, they went across the street and they had breakfast. So they couldn't remember the name of the hotel or the place they had breakfast, even though the place they were having breakfast was across the street from the hotel. They both said you could see the sign from the place they were having breakfast. Yeah, that's weird to start off with. They leave. They get in the car. They've been driving for like an hour. They ask for directions. Betty describes him as a white Irishman. Barney describes him as a black police officer. How the hell can you get those descriptions wrong? It's impossible. Black Irish. You're looking at the same guy. No, she said he was white. Barney <laughs> said he was black. I mean, it was, you would, it, I was just like, wait, what? And then, of course, they said their own words that they, they saw this craft and four people walked out and Black shoes, black pants, black shirts, and a black duck-billed hat. This is, this is CDC, this is black ops, this isn't anything. And so many agencies wear those outfits. It could have been anybody. They said they walked over the car, they looped their, their arms under each other, and walked them back and walked them up the stairs into the craft. Sounds like a dirigible, but I've never in my whole entire life of doing abduction research, which is 40 years, heard anybody walking upstairs in the spacecraft unless it was – like um, in a movie or it was like Valiant Thor. Mm. Uh, other than that, I've never heard of anyone. Most of the time, they're either floated up, beamed up, or drawn in. They're never, ever walking upstairs, which I was just floored by. I was like, well, that doesn't even make any sense. Then they said these, these things grabbed the trunk like, she said they were like maggots. Mm, they EMP'd the car. 
Aliens don't need to do that. They don't need to physical anything like that. So none of that ever, ever added up to a real alien abduction. It sounds, I think, honestly, Betty and Barney Hill, that was the first known military abduction. And what's funny about this, Kathleen Baldwin and I got big arguments about it because she had just wrote this book and she said, oh, it was a, it was a digital television. I listened. I still got them somewhere. I have a lot of the original interviews and the original hypnosis tapes of Mr. Simon when he, when he, when he regressed both of them. And I've got a lot of the interviews they did in the late 60s and early 70s. And there's no doubt what she said. Because at the time, that's what she thought that's what an alien should be. Later on in life, 20 years later, she changed her story because technology changed. Mm. Well, you can't change your story. If you change your story, you're a liar. Um, you know, whatever you saw is what you saw. And it's not going to 20 years later. It's not going to make Because I can talk to an abductee from 20 years ago, and they will tell me word for freaking word what they told me the first time. It leaves such an impact on you, you're not going to forget. I mean, it scars you for life. It, it, it's as bad as rape or anything else. It just scars you for life. You're not going to forget. Well, you may try to bury it and hide it, but it, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to forget that this happened to you, and you're going to remember it, especially on the hypnosis. You're going to remember it word for word for word for word. So, and then there was the other problem. In the original hypnosis, there was three sets of memories. There was the alien memories, the cover memory, and the human abduction memories. And she, they talked about humans. Then there's some other weird stuff. So, you know, Barney had a colonel that lived with him. Hmm. Then he knew several other colonels in the Air Force that's been knowing him since he was a young man before he knew his wife. Then him... And Betty, who, by the way, were a racial couple in the 60s, were invited to the White House. Okay, that for what? He was a post office man. He wasn't even an advocate. Yeah. Why, why, why were they invited to the White House? What, what was it that they were offering that the White House wanted to buy? Because it was just an interracial couple. There were several of them they could have used. So what was it? I mean, why, why was there a colonel living with him? Why did so many colonels know him? Why did he have so much trouble as a young man? Most people don't know it, but Barney was in and out of um, um, mental care for his entire life. That he wasn't, but Barney was. So this is exactly what happened. Somewhere in his young adulthood, he talked to a psychologist and told them what they had. Uh, probably someone that was in the military. The Air Force locked onto it, and ever since that point, they were following him. They befriended him. They became friends with him. They knew when things were happening to him. They were right there. It wasn't Betty they were interested in. It was Barney they were interested in. Mm. And Betty, you know, after Barney died, there was really no other contact. She used to make stories up, but when you'd voice dress her, you'd find out she was lying. So I was like, you know, it was Barney was the abductee. And then it, but see, that's the problem with ufology today. As far as I know, ICAR is the only organization that will change its mind about something, and we have several times over the years. Yeah. Um, everybody else seems to just get stuck. You know, oh, well, we know far more about alien abduction and military abductions today than they did when this happened. Obviously, there was more to this story than what was originally said because we know now it was a military abduction, but somebody wrote a book about it. People got money about it. Stan Friedman had a book about it. Nobody wanted to change it. It either made them look like liars or bad researchers. Stan got on my ass a couple of times about my Stan. The truth is the truth, boss. I can't help it. I said, this is where the evidence leads. And I said, I got far more evidence than y'all do. I said, so why are you fighting something? And, and deep down, he knew it was true because him and I talked about it several times. 
And then Jim Mars was on. Jim Mars and Ted Phillips thought it was the best explanation they ever heard. And that's two of the best researchers that ever lived. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, I was in good company. And uh, even uh, Dennis Balface had thought it was the correct explanation. So, I mean, these are three of the top UFO researchers there is, and they're agreeing with me, And but Stanton and, but also Stanton had that crush on Kathleen, too. So. Well, they wrote a book together. Wait, say that again? They wrote a book together. Yeah, they wrote a book together. And that's why I used to get so mad at me because I debunked the whole damn book. <laughs> Actually, now, now I have, in all transparency, I have Kathleen coming on the show in just a couple weeks. Kathleen's so, a sweetie. We, so, we've, we've got along good. I was going to say, should I not bring this up? You can bring it up, and she'll either get mad, she'll either address it, or she'll get mad. One or the other. No, there's no telling with Kathleen. Nobody's probably challenged her in a while, so but it's still on the website. And this is what's so great about this. So she wrote, I wrote to her, she wrote me back. I wrote to her, she wrote me back. So both sides of the argument, both hers and mine, are still on the iCrawl website where you can go read them. So I was actually quite fair about this. I didn't I didn't try to bully her. Mm-hmm. I didn't try to take her stuff down and just put mine up there. I wanted people to judge it for this. I've always been like that. I, it's just like when we were talking about the, the religious stuff earlier. I want people to judge it for their point of view, not from mine, not from the other person's. Do your own homework and figure it out because then at least you're getting most of the truth and not, not the BS. Um, but you know, And no, I don't get paid before anybody asks. Nobody pays me for this. <laughs> Matter of fact, to be honest with you, if I'd quit spending money on this, I could have probably retired a decade and a half ago. Right? Um, yeah, easily. You know, but I, I want my goal is to find out why this planet is being visited and what it is that they're looking for. Why isn't that they won't come straight out and tell us? I was always told the same thing. They've disclosed to everybody they feel the need to disclose to, which are the abductees and contactees. The general population doesn't mean anything to them in any shape, form, or fashion at all they look at the everyday population just cannon fodder at best mm. they don't they don't but them you gotta understand from, from like a greater reptilian humans first off their lifespans these days are endless they can upload their consciousness into a new body they already have pretty much unlimited lifespans to start off with well, but if something does before happen, you dig into that before you huh? dig into that i want to go over this in the patreon Oh, oh yeah, okay. we do that. That's even better. That's because even better. we we are out of time for the show. Damn. So yeah, you it goes quick. Jordan, huh? I said you talked too much. <laughs> Wait, you didn't you didn't even let your, that nice wife of yours even have me say three words. Well, I'll take the blame for that. <laughs> I think she talked more than I did. <laughs> she got some good questions in. So I, I like it because I see how she is. She'll put you on the spot, which is how uh, she does. She throw it out there. Yeah, well, Speaking of throwing you on the spot. What do well, you, you know what I mean. All right, I mean, all right. I got a theory for you. Well, not okay. a theory because I just thought about it. You were talking about Atlantis, and it had to be something crazy catastrophic, right? Mm-hmm. Noah's flood. Now, you see, that's good. I'll probably use that in the future, by the way. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. That's, that's, a good, that, that's a good theory. I mean, we know the flood existed now. I mean, somebody the other day said, well, you can't prove it was Noah. I said, I'm not trying to prove it was Noah. I said, I was trying to prove was that there was a big biblical-type flood, and there was. Mm-hmm. We know in several mountains we found fish way up, yep. not because it was underwater at one time, because it had been flooded at least once. So even even where they say the um, ark rests, when right. they do samples there, they find fish and stuff. And, you know, if you've ever watched the late great planet Earth, of course, they say that the, the, it's there, that the ark is there. And I have seen some some 
evidence that suggests it might have been there, but you know, nobody's going to let us on that mountain because we're yeah, right. It's in yeah, I mean, they're not going to let us up there. They're going to be like, no, 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 you, you, you American people can't go nowhere. <laughs> we will ruin I've, it. I've heard really good stories about it. I've seen some decent evidence on it. I've seen evidence that makes you question uh, that it might actually be there. I mean, uh, or or. We're not going to say it was the Noah's Ark because I don't want to start any controversy, but some type of Ark was there. Personally, I think it was Noah's Ark because we don't know who Noah was at first, but he might have been a freaking alien as far as we know. <laughs> um, we, we, the problem for us is is none of us was alive back then, and if we were, we have not retained the memory. <laughs> and we might not have made the boat. Look, I know I've got my list for, for when I cross over for whoever I'm going to be talking to, whether it's an archangel, or angel, God, or something in between. So, okay. I have this list of questions. Can you please answer these before we go any further? I, I need some closure, man. I need some closure. Uh, hey, Joe, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, most of the time, you can just go to uprntalkradio.com. That will lead you to the icar1.com website or any of the other sites that we're associated with. Of course, we're all over Facebook. We have 14 Facebook pages, three Instagram pages, two LinkedIn pages. We even have a MySpace page. Yeah. Oh my God, there there's sixty it was sixty something thousand people. I cannot believe there were still people on MySpace. I'm in shock. Uh but you can find this on any podcast site anywhere. Just type in United Public Radio, UFO Paranormal Radio, or any of our host names. Uh we've got six incarnation of hosts. So when I say that, the reason I say that is is uh, there's just been a lot of different hosts on the network in their old days. The first incarnation were all ufologists, all researchers and ufologists. The second one were paranormal. Third was a whole different breath. So my friend Stephanie Muddy, who's passed away, used to run the network. We are on the sixth incarnation of hosts on this network, which Michelle DeRoche handles these days. So there's lots of shows to listen to. There's lots of good stuff to listen to. I'm on four nights a week. I'm on UFO on the cover. I do politics on Friday. Yeah. Don't ask me how I can get away with ufology and, and politics. I don't. I, it doesn't always work. I get emails sometimes like, Joe, you're the most brilliant ufologist I've met, but you're a blank, blank, and moron when it comes to politics. I don't want to use the language. But I'm like, really? Well, that's a different method of ufologist research. You don't think I might not be a good researcher when it comes to politics? I'm a centralist, so I get away with a lot. I can hate on both sides. I feel comfortable hating on both sides. And, and, I just call it out like I see it. You know, whatever it is, I'm calling it out. And they can always call at a station and cuss me if they want to. But I'm on there. I also do Science and Beyond, which I've uh, had several big scientists on that show. It's a great show. Uh, we do a lot of fun stuff on there. It only airs bi-weekly. And then with my good friend Michelle, I host The Gray Zone Uncensored every other Saturday. won't be in October. It'll be reruns in October because we're it's October. The station's really busy. She's really busy. I'm really busy. But uh, you can find us there. She's a great host, and she's a lot of fun to talk with. So any of those shows you can catch me on. I'm usually doing one of those, or I'm traveling. A lot of times if I'm traveling, uh, my itinerary will be posted on Facebook. Like when I was in Salt Lake City, I told anybody who wanted to come visit me, just like I did in DragonCon, come visit me. That might not be the brightest thing to say all the time. But um, <laughs> I, I, when I'm traveling, guys, I'm out there for y'all to start off with. That's, I'm out there to learn research for me and to meet as many people who listen to the network or, or work with the network or a tie with iCar that I can meet. So don't ever think of it, and don't ever think I'm unapproachable. Feel free to walk up and talk to me anytime. If you see me doing a lecture, that's a little different. But if I'm just standing there talking to somebody, come up and introduce yourself. If I'm in some hardcore, say, hey, can you come back and see me here? Here's my car. Give me a call later on. But I want to talk to everybody. That's what I'm there for. I'm there to hear everybody's stories, to learn as much as I can, to try to get our theories even 
every every chance we get, we try to update our theories to make them more plausible, more believable, more factual, evidence based. I don't I don't want people to believe in extraterrestrials. This isn't religion we're talking about. I want you to either know or not know. So you either seen enough evidence or you've had enough experiences that you know it's real, or you're like everybody else, you're trying to figure out if it is real. Yeah. But don't start believing because if you start believing, then you open up a whole other can of worms. Believing in God is fine. Believing in extraterrestrials is not. Uh, so anyway, enough about all of that before I get somebody a headache. Very good, Jay. As always, I, I love talking to you and, and hearing your brain just go. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it just pops off on its own. That's good. But like I said, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some alien classifications on the Patreon. So, um, for those of you that are our patrons, you'll be able to hear that in just a moment. Uh, for everybody else, you know, thank you, Joe. You have a good night. And with that, the fire is out. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank all of you for listening. If you haven't had the chance to connect with me online, Fireside Paranormal Hub on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. TikTok and Twitter at Fireside Parapod, P A R A P O D. Make sure you check out that Patreon, patreon.com slash Fireside Paranormal. It's a great way to support the show. I'm trying to do a lot of fun stuff on there, a lot of bonus audio, uh, merch giveaways, things like that. Name drop on the show, private Discord server, tiers start at just a dollar. I also have just the interview audio available to patrons. Again, it's patreon.com slash firesideparanormal. Check out firesideparanormal.com. Get all your sweet fireside merch. And that is all the time we have for this week. So until next week, everybody, don't be afraid, only believe. Mm-hmm.